0: listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hey everyone, I'm Becca Hash. I'm Jacob. Um, And today's scripture reading is James 5, 7 through 12. Here we go. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bob Blahnik. I'm one of the elders here at Faith Church. Five and a half years ago, I retired from being a pastoral staff member here at the church. Uh, Pastor Joey is off in Europe doing something, and uh, Jeff is up in Chicago. They're having a memorial service this weekend for his father who passed away a year ago. So it's my honor and privilege to be able to come back to the pulpit and share with you this morning. Let's start out with a little uh, pop quiz. How many of you ever struggle with impatience? Come on, everybody's hands should be up in the air on that one. I know I do. You know, there's a lot of trivial situations that kind of get me impatient. I made the mistake of going to Chick-fil-A at noon the other day. Uh, they'll drive in line around the block. Uh, so how about sitting in a doctor's waiting room and then going back into the other room and waiting another half an hour? <laughs> Following a slow driver when I'm late for work, waiting for my pot of water to boil when I'm dying for some spaghetti, pouring more salt in there to get it to boil faster, playing behind a slow group of golfers on the golf course, and they won't let me play through. Uh, Somebody shared with me right after the first service of getting on the phone and being put on hold with the IRS, told you'll be on hold for 10 minutes, and 50 minutes later, click, the phone went dead. having to wear a mask for a year at Faith Church. I think we're about ready, aren't we, to to do away with that? You've probably heard of Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law is if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Bob's Law is that whatever line I pick at Walmart will be the slowest line ever. And when I choose to leave that line and get another line, that now becomes the slowest line ever. You know, those are pretty trivial illustrations, and usually I don't completely lose my testimony and witness by those, but how about having to wait for more serious things in life? How about waiting for the results of a medical test or a biopsy? How about waiting to get pregnant? How about waiting for the job for all the applications you've put in, and just waiting to see if you're going to get one of those jobs. How about seeing if you've been accepted at the college you want to go to? How about waiting to finally find a right person to marry, if that's your inclination? Waiting is hard, isn't it? Especially living in our fast-paced, microwave, instant oatmeal world that we live in. However, it gets even worse when you're suffering. Just ask Wilbert Jones about that. In 1974, at the age of 19, Wilbert was found guilty of kidnapping and rape and sentenced to life in prison without parole. For the next 45 years, Wilbert lived in a small cell in prison claiming that he had never committed that crime. It was finally brought to light that the prosecuting attorneys had kept away evidence from the defense attorneys, and in fact, Wilbert was innocent of the crime. Talk about patience. How can an innocent man sit in a cell for 45 years, waiting to get out, not even knowing if he will ever get out? Wilbert said it was his faith in God that got him through that time and gave him hope. You know, I don't know if I could have handled that like Wilbert did. How about you? What do you normally do when you face deep suffering? Do you calmly and patiently wait, or do you get angry? Do you get angry at God? Do you get angry at your spouse, at the people around you, your children, your parents? Do you let bitterness begin to consume your heart? We could all learn a lesson from Wilbert Jones about how to face the trials in life with more patience. We can also learn from the words of James in the book he wrote that we've been studying for the last eight weeks here at Faith Church. As we've already learned from our study of James, the people he was writing to were facing... Great tribulation. In fact, he starts out his letter after a greeting with these words, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Last Sunday, Pastor Nathan did a great job of uh, uh, exposing to us the truths of James in the first part of chapter 5 about the wicked rich and how they were lording it over the poor people and how the people were suffering because of that. And our passage today in verse 7 starts out with therefore, so because of all the suffering you go through, let me share with you some thoughts from my heart, James says. And I'm a big idea type of guy, I look for a big idea in each paragraph in scripture. I feel if we can discover that big idea that he was trying to get across to his readers then, it can transpose to our time today. And obviously his big idea in our journal is be patient. If you look at your journal, hopefully you're writing in your journal, you'll notice the, the word patience four times in our six verses. Twice in, chapter, in verse 7, once in verse 8, once in verse 10. I've circled them in mine. So he's obviously telling the people when they're facing trials and suffering to be patient. Well, what does that mean? We've got to understand what that means. The Greek word is a compound word, microthymia, which means long anger. To have long anger, to be long-suffering. Probably the best uh, definition i found is this, the prolonged restraint of anger. Patience is the prolonged restraint of anger. Now our English word patience comes from a Latin root which means suffering that has to do with suffering. It's to face trials and suffering without complaint, without complaining. But it has the added understanding of relinquishing control, your control to someone else. That's why when we go to the hospital, what are we called? We are called the patient. We turn over the control to the doctor and nurses to treat us. That's where we get our word. In Hebrew, the patience is ascribed as an attribute of God. God is long-suffering. He's slow to anger. And James already told us that back in chapter 1, where he says we are to be slow to anger, quick to listen, but slow to anger. In classical Greek, Patience has the virtue of resignation, of, of resigning yourself to what's going on in your life and accepting what's happening in your life. You see, when, when I get become impatient, I'm really questioning God's wisdom. I'm really saying, God, do you know what you're doing? God, why is this happening? God, I don't like your timetable. I would be solving this a lot sooner if I was in your position, God you know, really, God, I think I could handle this better than you can. So maybe I'm going to take control back. It's like telling our doctor that I know how to treat myself better than the doctor does. And this understanding of the word patience leads us to my big idea for this passage today that James is trying to tell his readers and tell us thousands of years later, my impatience questions God's wisdom. When I'm impatient, I'm questioning, God, you really know what you're doing with my life. Now, he's going to explain what this means by giving us two positive ways we can learn to be patient. Then he's going to point out two ugly negative ways we respond when we are impatient. Let's look at the first way we can gain patience. Verses 7 and 8, we are to patiently wait with hope from the future, hope from the future. Let me read verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The first thing we should notice in these two verses is he uses the phrase coming twice, coming of the Lord. It's a Greek word that means the visit of a king. The king is coming. Well, our king, Lord Jesus, left heaven, came to earth, took on flesh, lived a sinless life, showed us how to live our life perfectly but was still put to death on a cross for our sins, paid the penalty for it, what we just celebrated in communion, was buried in the tomb, rose three days later. Before he ascended to heaven, he said, I am coming back. I will be back. And that is hope from the future that should give us patience in the moment of today. And he uses an illustration that's very familiar to them, that of a farmer, agricultural community. He says, be like the farmer who waits patiently for the early and late rains. Now, I grew up in Iowa, but I'm not a farm boy. Gene's family were farmers. I've learned a lot about farming. I've learned how dependent farmers are on the weather. Now, if you drive around out in the fields uh, around Indiana today, you'll see... Farmers out working, but mostly a lot of the sowing, the planting has already been done. They've tilled the soil already, they've planted the seed, they've fertilized it, and now they're just waiting patiently for the crops to grow. And you can see the little stalks of corn starting to come up. A farmer has to wait patiently. Farmers go out into their field at night. They can hear the crops growing, I'm told, and they they wait patiently for it to come to fruition and produce the fruit that he's looking for. And they look for the early and late rains. See, they would plant their crops in late autumn in their area, and then the early rains of October and November would come and nourish the ground and the crop, and then it would grow, and then they'd come back in the spring in April and May for the late rains to finish the crop, and then they could harvest the crop. We need to learn from the farmer. He says in verse 8, to be patient and establish your heart. That means to stand firm, to be steadfast, to stay steady and strong. To be a farmer, you've got to have long anger, you've got to be steady. In the same way the farmer patiently waits with the hope of his coming crop, we are to patiently wait for the hope that is coming in the future the coming of our king, and that should give us hope for today and give us patience in the midst of our impatience. So we get hope from the future, but now he shares, we also patiently wait with trust from the past. Trust from the past, verses 10 and 11, drop down to verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, there's that word again, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, were examples to us from the past of patience in the midst of suffering. They would share God's word to an unbelieving generation who wouldn't listen many times, would often persecute them, but they kept going. And when I think When I think of the hall of fame of Old Testament prophets, the one that comes to my mind is Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been called the weeping prophet or the suffering prophet because he was beat many times. He was put in prison. He was thrown into a dungeon. And yet he faithfully waited on God to see those prophecies. He didn't see a lot of them come true, but he preached the word of God. He was faithful. And it says he was steadfast. That's another compound word. In the Greek, hypomeno, to stay under, to stand up under something, to be steadfast, to hang in there when things aren't going well. And he says we'll be blessed, and that takes us back to uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who stays steadfast under trial. Well, James now moves on from Jeremiah to his second illustration, that of Job from the past. Now, the book of Job is probably one of the most treasured pieces of literature in all of human history. Job, minding his own business, raising a family, having a career, gets into a cosmic, uh, becomes a pawn in a cosmic chess battle with evil, between evil and God. He loses his family, his kids die. He loses his home, he loses his crops, he loses his livestock, he loses his livelihood, he loses his health. Just imagine that. Imagine that all your family members died, you lost your job, you lost your livelihood, you lost your possessions, and you lost your health. Job, he says, is an example of patience. Why? Because Job didn't get mad at God. Luckily he had a loving wife who told him to curse God and die. He had three really good friends who came alongside of him and listened for a while but then turned on him and blamed him for what was happening. If that had been me, if that had happened to me, I'd probably be shaking my fist at God in impatience and getting angry, but Job, we're told, fell down in worship. And he said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the example we are to look to from the past. And why could Job do that? Because at the end of verse uh, 11 it said, because the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job knew that Whatever happened to him, he could trust God for his present and for his future. You see, when we face trials and suffering in this life, we can learn to patiently wait by following the examples of those faiths, of those prophets and Job who, from the past, are examples of long-suffering. And when we do, we display not only trust from the past, but we display hope from the future. But after sharing these two ways to become patient, Job also shares two very ugly responses of us when we become impatient. And they are grumbling and double-mindedness. First, grumbling displays our impatience. Go back to verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. This word grumbling means to sigh, it means to groan, it means to have a bitterness well up in your heart that tends to spill out on other people. It's when our anger becomes short rather than long. Before we know it, we become unhappy campers. We start grumbling at our spouses, at our children, at our coworkers, at our Christian brothers and sisters, and maybe even at God Himself. It's that sudden rise of anger when another driver cuts you off. When the restaurant waitstaff isn't bringing your order fast enough. When the boss hasn't given you that raise that he promised you. When the job you wanted and waited for was given to someone else. When the medicine you're taking for pain isn't relieving the pain as quickly as you would like it to. And the list goes on and on and on. James already talked about this back in chapter 4 when he warned us about avoiding quarreling and fighting among ourselves. That's what they were doing. They were so impatient they were grumbling at each other. Job's three friends and his wife are perfect examples of grumblers who tried to get him to complain against God, but he resisted their advice and trusted God's wisdom over theirs. James' word here is not a suggestion, it's a command. Stop grumbling, he says. Wait patiently for God's timing without complaining. I saw a, a post a couple weeks ago on Facebook It really caught this. Let me put it up here on the screen. This is powerful. When it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it's God's time, you can't stop it. When it's not God's timing for you, you can't force it. You need to just wait patiently for God and trust him. But when it is God's time, look out, (laughs) because you won't be able to stop it. God is in control of our lives. Those are pretty good words for our life. Grumbling displays our impatience, and James warns us that we'll be judged for it. He's pretty serious here. And then James goes on to share one more negative response that we have when we become impatient, and that's double-mindedness. Double-mindedness displays our impatience. Look at verse 12. Some commentators question whether this verse goes with our passage. I believe it does because it starts out, but above all ties it together, but above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What's he talking about here? Well, I think James is thinking of his brother Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. No. It has to do with integrity, being a person of integrity, not not being a double-minded man or woman, but having a single purpose to follow God. We get our word integrity from mathematics, from the word integer. Integer means whole number, not fractured, not a fraction. And so it means here we're not fractured in our mind or in our heart. We have a singleness of purpose as we follow God. He's telling them not to be double-minded. He already said that back in chapter 1, verse 8, when he specifically said, don't be double-minded. And also in that same chapter, he said, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So if we hear the word and we don't do it, then we're being double-minded. We're being fractured in our minds and our heart. Now, what he's responding to in their culture at times, they would take an oath. They would, if they really wanted to emphasize a point they were making, instead of hitting the table, they would give an oath, and they'd they'd make an oath on God's name or on an idol's name. And he's saying, you don't need to do that, brothers and sisters. Just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. We, We do that subtly. We've developed a phrase that we use subtly today. Well, to be honest with you, to be honest with you means I'm lying to you the whole rest of the time. But we say that, don't we? We want to emphasize, now to be honest with you, I really mean this. Well, that's what they were doing here. And he said, no, no, no. You don't need to do that. Just be a person of integrity. Be single-minded. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. No. You see, when we find ourselves being double-minded and not speaking the truth, that's a sign that we are in the grip of impatience and that anger is bubbling up and turning into bitterness. You see, sadly, when we become impatient, we tend to begin to grumble against God and others. We begin to lose some of our integrity by being double-minded and by not speaking the truth, and both of these negative responses should serve as a warning sign to us that we are not standing up underneath the trials and suffering very well. We're not staying under them very well. We need to get back to patiently waiting with hope from the future and trust from the past because my impatience questions his wisdom, his control, his sovereignty over my life. So how do we apply this? How, how do we move this from our head to our heart? Well, let me give you two practical ways that I have found that have helped me when I struggle with this. The first is the recognition that I cannot create patience. It is a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience. I have to ask God's Holy Spirit to give me that patience when I'm in the grip, when I'm grumbling, when I need to stop and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do. Fill me right now with your patience. So that's the first suggestion I would have, to stop and ask him to help you with that. The second is a little more practical way. Uh, Last year, I retired uh, from my role as the E-Free denominational superintendent of our area. And I said to Jean, well, what do I do next? I mean, I'm I'm never going to retire fully from ministry, just from paychecks. Because I'll always be doing work for the Lord. What should I do next? And she suggested, and I agreed. And so I signed up for an intense two-and-a-half-year study program called the Transforming Center with Dr. Ruth Haley Barton on how to go deeper in my own personal spiritual faith. I've been a Christian for 40-some years, and I've helped... I've helped countless people grow in their spiritualness and I thought I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to concentrate on Bob. And so I entered this program, it's, it's a two and a half year program. We have nine three and a half day retreats at a retreat center up in Chicago. I have to read a lot of books for it, I have to write papers for it, I have to study the history of the church, and I have to learn about spiritual disciplines. Well, last month at our second retreat uh, out of the nine, we studied the topic of prayer and I was introduced to a type of prayer that comes from the history of the church that I'd I'd heard of but I'd never practiced before that they encouraged us to practice and it's been very helpful to me and I want to share it with you today. It's called the breath prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's called the breath prayer that you breathe in and breathe out God's oxygen and you learn how to breathe in a breath prayer and breathe it out. It starts with your favorite name of the Lord. You pick your favorite name of the Lord as you breathe in and then you share your request with him as you breathe out. Probably the most famous in all of church history is just called the Jesus Prayer, if you've heard of that. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Say that with me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's also been shortened to just, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Let's say that. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. It's a prayer you can breathe in and out when you're struggling, maybe with your own sin. They encouraged us to write our own six to eight word breath prayer. And so I went off by myself, wrote down a bunch of different versions, and finally settled on one. You see, I, I'm a very active-minded person. I'm an extrovert. I live out here. I'm a tomorrow person. I'm always thinking about tomorrow. My wife says I'm probably ADHD. And so my mind is always going. It's very difficult for me to get quiet before God. You introverts in the room can get quiet before God a lot easier than we extroverts can. It takes me a long time. And I realized that because of impatience and fear and anxiety at times at night, especially at night, my mind was just churning. And so I, I wrote out a breath prayer. Now you can write out your own words or you can use the words of Scripture. I chose the words from Psalm 131. And it goes like this. Holy Spirit, calm and quiet my soul. Holy Spirit, calm and quiet my soul. Say that with me. Holy Spirit, calm and quiet my soul. That has been a godsend to me the last month. So when I'm in the traffic, when I'm in the doctor's waiting room, when I'm getting in the grip of impatience and I'm starting to grumble, I can say, wait a minute, Bob. Ask the Holy Spirit for patience and now do your breath prayer. Holy Spirit, Calm and quiet my soul. I'm going to encourage you to write out this week your breath prayer. Start with your favorite name of God. Could be Father, could be Abba, could be Jesus, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, could be Spirit, Holy Spirit. Pick your favorite name for the Lord. Make it yours. And then search scripture or search your heart and write out your response. What do you you need in life right now? I need quietness. I need to know that the Lord is in charge. It's his battle to fight. He's mighty to fight the battle for me. So I can be calm and let him do that. I encourage you to try that and see how that works. Well, after patiently waiting for 45 years, Wilbert Jones was finally released from the Louisiana prison as a free man, having been innocent all those years. When the reporters asked him if he harbored bitterness and anger, he said, no, not really. I forgave then and I still forgive. Most of my life was taken away from me for something I didn't do. I feel wonderful and I thank God for this opportunity. Wow! (laughs) Sounds like Job. Sounds like Job. Although he admitted that the decades in prison were hard on him, he said it was my faith in God to help me stand up under the pressure I faced every day with a patience that only could come from God. Because my impatience questions his wisdom. So next time you are in a situation that causes you to become impatient, patiently wait with hope from the future, the promise of Christ's return, just like the farmer waits for his crop. Patiently wait with trust from the past like Jeremiah and Job. Patiently wait without grumbling and complaint. Patiently wait by having a single-minded trust in God's control and sovereignty over your life. Ask the Holy Spirit for his fruit of the patience in your heart and regularly breathe your breath prayer in and out. And simply follow James's words of wisdom here today. Be patient. Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you share through your word. You you shared this with people thousands of years ago that were going through trials and sufferings, Lord, that we can't even begin to imagine here in America. And those words come alive. They come alive to us today. So, Lord, when we find ourselves In the grip of impatience, help us remember that we're really kind of telling you, you know, I know what's better for my life than you do, God. We confess, Lord, that we want to stop doing that. And we want to ask you to give us the strength, your Holy Spirit, to be patient and to trust you with our lives. And like with Job, if any glory comes from that, Lord, may it go to you. Teach us how to be patient. We pray this in the bold and the mighty name of the resurrected Christ and all God's people said.